Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orton Gillingham podcast. First of all, before I introduce our guest today, I do want to introduce or welcome Lori Wagner, um, who's not normally a host on our podcast, but she's here helping us out today. Lori's the vice president of Brainspring. And um, so welcome, Lori. Thanks for helping us out. Thank you. Glad to be here myself. Awesome. In today's episode of the podcast, we're joined by Dr. Sally Lewis, the director of the research division for the Center for Research, Assessment, and Treatment Efficacy, also known as CREATE. Founded in 2007 by Dr. Lewis and her partner, Dr. Daniels, CREATE specializes in providing evidence-based evaluations and implementing applied clinical research. Dr. Lewis is a licensed clinical psychologist with expertise in evidence-based treatments and in assessing, identifying, and treating social, emotional, behavioral, developmental, and neurodevelopmental syndromes. She joins us today to discuss the research process as it pertains to multisensory education. Welcome, Dr. Lewis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to be here. Hi, Sally. We're so glad. So glad to have you join us. It's been a while since you and I have talked, so it's nice to see and talk with you again. Sally and I started working together almost two years ago when BrainSpring began to explore program research, and her expertise in the arena of designing and conducting research has certainly deepened my understanding of the entire process, far beyond what I learned in college talking about research So Sally, um, I thought maybe I would start out by asking you, I was definitely curious, is how did you first become interested in the field of clinical research and get started in this career? Yes, that's a a good question. I, you know, I I always knew that I I wanted to be um, a psychologist um, from the time that I was a little girl, which is, you know, kind of unusual, I'm sure to, um, to hear, but I used to, um, you know, my parents would joke that I would, I would say that I was, you know, playing psychologist and I would, um, you know, to have my friends sit on the couch or my stuffed animals. And, um, so, and then I, my training included a lot of, um, a research, a strong research focus. So I, um, I went to a, a, the place that I um, received my doctorate. West Virginia University is a, um, is a, has a strong, um, it's a research one institution. And so they are training um, psychologists largely who work in academic um, and medical settings, um, conducting grant, grant focused research. And I, um, so I became really interested um, just as a, you know, as, as, part, of, um, as part of my training. Um, I discovered that I was really interested in um, learning more about um, kind of real world problems. So um, the kinds of issues um, that uh, we, we see in, um, in the community. So in particular, mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of work in, in some of partner violence and mm-hmm. um, traumatic stress exposure in kids. Oh, wow. and, um, and, and that was, that was sort of my initial, my initial work and, and my, my first love really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so doing applied clinical research allows you to study, um, you know, existing populations. Um, it allows you to answer questions um, that have some real heft to them, um, allow you to apply what you've learned to um, improve the human condition. 
mm -hmm. um, and, and uh, improve interventions, improve mm -hmm. um, primary and secondary prevention programming. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that was really, so it was really sort of the, you know, the, the combination of training experiences and practical experiences that, um, that, that, you know, sort of coalesced to, mm -hmm. um, to, to light the fire in me that was, you know, that has led me to a, a research career. Neat. Awesome. Oh, excellent. So, I think a lot of us started our careers by being kids dreaming about what we would be and then yeah. pretending. So I love that part about your mm -hmm. stuffed animals on the couch. Yeah. yeah, I can just picture that. I love it. It's great. Um, so, so have you done a lot of research um, in, in the field of education? Um, it sounds like you have a variety, you do a variety of research and many topics. And um, so are you, uh, have you been doing educational research um, for a while? Yes. Um, my job, my, you know, my professional experiences have been, have been a little bit unusual in that I started off um, as an academic psychologist and um, for a variety of reasons, I, I um, decided to transition um, to work more in the, in the private sector. So um, doing work um, in, you know, in communities for treatment programs, for educational programs, um, you know, I've done some work for um, state funded organizations, you know, like the Department of Justice. And so through that process, um, I've had the, the um, you know, the opportunity to, to work in a variety of settings mm -hmm. and, um, and, and a variety of, of private um, sort of sector environments. And um, in that sense, um, I have been involved in evaluating um, some small scale educational programs in the mm -hmm. past. Mm -hmm. um, many of the treatment programs that, um, that my company has evaluated um, tend to include, because a lot of the work we do is with children, mm -hmm. tend to include an educational component as a mm -hmm. function of looking at a child's, um, a child's uh, functioning across lots of domains. And we know that, you know, for kids, their, one, their job is to go to school, right, mm -hmm. to have some friends and to get along with their parents. And that's mm -hmm. basically a, a kid's job growing up. Mm -hmm. So, um, so when we evaluate um, you know, even mental health interventions, we often look at um, academic functioning um, mm -hmm. as well. So um, in that sense, education as a outcome, academic mm -hmm. performance and functioning as a, um, a variable of interest has been involved in a lot of the work that we've done at CREATE for sure. Mm -hmm. So I heard you say um, small scale research. Um, what's the difference between large scale and small scale research? Yes, that's a good question. So a small scale, uh, and it's obviously it's all, you know, sort of uh, relative really, right? Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. um, you know, a small scale study would be sort of classified small scale um, because you would be, say for example, investigating a small number, you know, a smaller number of questions. You okay. would have a smaller, um, a smaller number of subjects or participants in the mm -hmm. study. You mm -hmm. would be um, maybe um, measuring um, an outcome that is more proximate to the onset of the study, as opposed mm -hmm. to the study that we did at BrainSpring would definitely be considered a large scale study, right? Okay. Where we 
um, where we had, you know, multiple um, classrooms, multiple first grade classrooms across four different schools within mm -hmm. a, a district in an urban setting and, mm -hmm. um, and, you know, 26 different first grade teachers and hundreds mm -hmm. and hundreds of kids in, involved mm -hmm. in the classroom, following kids for a mm -hmm. full year, mm -hmm. um, you know, collecting a lot more data where you have data from teachers, data from parents, and mm -hmm. then actual reading assessments of kids mm -hmm. that are collected at multiple points across an academic year. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, unfortunately, as we talked about that, that, um, that particular project was cut short because of COVID and, and moving yes. schools to, um, to a virtual context. But right, um, right. that's an example of a, of a larger scale study. Okay. So the process, uh, can you explain a, a little bit more the overall process of conducting a large scale research um, like that? You know, one of the really fun things about research is that it's, scientific. So by definition, it's, you know, we are operationally defining terms, and mm -hmm. we are um, identifying variables, and we are controlling as much as we possibly can, so that we can um, make generalizations about the findings to the intervention we're studying. And so it's in that way, it's, it's really concrete. And, and, and we, we attempt to to control a lot of things. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's actually a creative process. So um, that's, that's what I find to be some of what is most fun about it. So, mm -hmm. you know, for example, the work that I did with Lori and at Brainspring, we started months and months and months ahead. And I can't say exactly for sure, Lori, you may remember better than me, but, um, you know, we trained teachers in the summer of 2019 and we started maybe the fall of the year before, maybe planning mm -hmm. the study. Would you say that's correct? Yeah, I think we, we met and talked about it really almost two years before it started, but we started a more serious conversation in the fall. And then through the spring and summer is when we kind of pulled things together so that we could move forward in, in, the, or in the fall of 2019. Mm -hmm. So definitely right. a so, lengthy process. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, so my point there is that you, there is a lot of, um, you know, there's a huge amount of planning that yes. goes into it. So um, again, we met, you know, weekly for months and months and months to really condense and, and make decisions about what, what are the objectives of, of, mm -hmm. um, of this research study, right? Mm -hmm. So what is it that Brainspring, what's the primary question that they want mm -hmm. um, to ask? and to, mm -hmm. to have answered by this study. And so that just that in of itself is a huge endeavor mm -hmm. um, and requires some honing in on often the mission of the company and the values and what is, you know, what is it that they want to be able to say to their stakeholders and to their mm -hmm. customers and to their mm -hmm. students and teachers. And, mm -hmm. um, and so that's, that's a very important first step, right? And that sort of is this broad umbrella. And then from there, um, you know, you get into the, the sort of nuts and bolts of the minutiae of the research process where you then, once you identify this question that you want to answer, um, then you start going about defining how best to answer it by defining your objectives and thinking about um, the, the participants, 
How will you decide who can be in the study? Who should be excluded from the study? How, how will we measure, how do we define these variables of interest? So for example, you know, for BrainSpring, we wanted to look at, um, at reading skills broadly, right? And so we had to define what is that really, um, how do we define those skills? Um, because that's going to map onto how do we measure those skills mm -hmm. across time? What, um, you know, what instrument do we use? Do we administer it? Do we have specialized teachers administer it? Can the general classroom teacher administer it? You know, you have to then make decisions about the, you know, the site of data collection. So mm -hmm. for this study, again, we needed a district that had a lot of first grade classrooms because mm -hmm. we needed to randomly assign teachers to either receive the brain spring training and become a phonics first trained teacher in the classroom or not receive mm -hmm. the training that year. And then um, the, the idea was they were a, an active wait list and would receive the training a year later. And then you have issues of consent and protection of subjects, mm -hmm. which is really important, particularly yeah. when you are um, collecting data with kids, right? Sure. Any vulnerable populations. Yeah. So sure. that was, children. That was so important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that was a that was a huge part of the process is getting uh, the institutional review board um, to uh, and we we did that at the University of Arkansas, which is where okay. I, um, I I I use the institutional review board there as a as a research fellow and and they then you know very uh, rigorously review your application to make sure that you are not coercing kids, that you're yeah. not offering excessive <laughs> payment to vulnerable populations, that right. you've explained yeah. to parents that they don't have to do it. Their kids don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. They don't, you know, and if they withdraw, they're not going to be, you know, mistreated in the classroom or treated mm -hmm. any differently, or their teacher won't be mad or their school won't sure. be mad. And, sure. yeah. Right. There's, there's, you know, a host of things that, that we're required by law, by federal law to make sure, sure that parents understand. There are so many components and considerations that I never even thought about prior to working with Sally. And it was really fascinating to literally spend hours talking wow. about every point and every sure. step in the process. And, and then, wow. of course, work to do that went along with that. But it was just a really fascinating process to really learn more about than I ever, ever yeah. thought I'd know. And I imagine when you throw kids into the mix, that that just adds a whole, a whole other uh, huge piece of it as well. So um, that's yeah. that's so interesting. So you um, you really are a, quite a subject matter expert. I mean, you you have to really um, learn everything about. I mean, every new project that you that you set out to do. So that's that's quite amazing. I mean, I think that's so interesting. And do you have a team of people that work with you to, to, to get this process finished? Yes. Yes. I, I definitely have a team of people, yeah. um, you know, including I have, um, you know, some, I have several scientific consultants. So they are people with expertise in areas that are outside my expertise. So mm -hmm. while I oversee and I, I function as um, what we call the PI, that's kind of the, the um, which is the principal investigator. Uh -huh. um, 
So I'm responsible for oversight of, of every step, right? Um, but so, so I, I have a biostatistician whose expertise is statistical analysis so that they can consult and make sure that we've looked at these data in the correct way and that we've, we've cut these numbers in a way that we're, um, right. um, you know, not violating statistical assumptions and we're, um, you know, we're running our statistics in a way that's, that's um, valid and appropriate. So yes, I have a lot of research assistants. I usually will have, depending on the scope of the project, I will have um, sometimes a paid person or two, not, you know, not paid very well, <laughs> sorry to say, but, um, yeah. but they're often, that's sort of part of the research training process uh-huh. is that we all sort of function as research assistants and right. cut our teeth in, um, you know, starting as volunteers. So I also have a, mm-hmm. have a handful of, of students at um, different institutions where I am an adjunct faculty. Um, And as part of their, you know, they get course credit overseen by me. This is, you know, one example. And and they then get to learn about the research process. So they help enter data, score data, check data, clean data. I mean, that's often the, they often, you know, we all had to sort of start with the, with the grunt. I was going to ask, did you do that? (laughs) Did you do that when you were at the university? Oh, absolutely. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. I did many, many hours, hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours. Yes. In fact, it's a lot easier now because we have electronic data collection, right? So almost all the data now, parents, you know, if if parents are going to fill out a questionnaire about their child functioning, they get a link, you know, and they do it online. And um, whereas, you know, in the old days, um, (laughs) when I was coming up, we, Mm -hmm. you know, you had a, you you literally had a folder and part of what we had to do is the (laughs) undergraduate you know, grunt workers was literally photocopy the oh 500, oh, yeah. um, you know, pay and make the folders. And then the mm-hmm. folders would go to the investigators who would physically give the paper to the, to wow. the parents and you'd have to enter all that data by hand. So quite a process. Yes, it's a huge process. And there's a lot of the attention to detail is really, really mm. important because mm-hmm you know, the data that you get is only as good as, as the quality of it. And, sure. and there's so many places where there's so much potential for error. So yeah, we, yeah. we check and we clean and we recheck and we, mm-hmm. um, at, at every step of the way. So wow. we need lots of hands to help right. with that for sure. Are yeah. the students who help you, are they usually psychology students? Is there a specialized, um, course that that students would take to get involved in research or um, at the university level? I mean, uh, how do you choose? uh, I'm sure the students apply for the research um, position, but um, is there, I just thinking about that's, that's something that unless you're in a very specialized field, you don't really hear much about um, as Did a student. Did you get a degree in yeah, research or yeah. what is- as a student in college, you know, how yeah. would you get, how would you become a research assistant? I think that's interesting because it's something you don't really hear about much, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. And, um, and it's so true. I mean, I, you know, I, I advise my students, I don't have a lot of undergraduate students because I do um, you know, I, I, it's, it's a lot more helpful for me to have students who are um, at like a doctoral level of training. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I can talk about that in a minute, but, but then I would have that student say for five years because it'll Mm. take them that long to get their PhD. And so then it's, it's, um, you know, it's worth your time. You have this, this beneficial, mutually beneficial relationship in that you train them for these number of years 
And then they get mentoring from you about professional development, diversity training, you know, research, um, uh, different kinds of topics related to um, research and, and thinking about, you know, their career trajectory. And so a lot of times students, you know, psychology students, you know, who are majoring in psychology in college, say, don't realize that if they want to get their PhD in psychology, that they need to have some research experience. Mm, And unfortunately, a lot of times that just somehow doesn't, depending on the school, depending Mm -hmm. on, on how well they, um, they advise their, you know, how well the psychology department in Mm -hmm. any given university or college advises their undergraduate students that are majoring in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, schools that do a good job of that will, will say, you know, these research, these professors are doing research and mm-hmm. they need research assistance and you're going to need to have research experience if you want to go to graduate school. And, and so that's how those relationships develop. And that's interesting. And, and that is that mutually uh, beneficial on both ends. So they're getting, Mm-hmm. all that experience that they're going to need and mm-hmm. the person doing the research is benefiting from someone mm-hmm. doing certain aspects of the research. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you, you know, a lot of folks, a lot of undergraduate psychology majors think I'm going to, you know, and, and come to, you know, come to me when I was a professor or now as a, as a mentor in the, in the private sector and just say, well, I'm going to be a psychologist, you know, and they're, <laughs> but they're five minutes from graduating. From yeah. college and, um, and unfortunately it's, it's a little bit late at that yeah, point, you yeah. know, but my current position is, is unique. And, and that's been another really fun aspect for me that I, um, because I'm, because I work in this sort of unique setting I, you know, you can still work with me after you, um, mm-hmm. after you graduate with your bachelor's degree mm-hmm. in psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have several students who, one of my really strong students ha- has been with me um, for many years and she mm. had just gotten her bachelor's degree and she wanted to go on, but she didn't have the experience she needed and, and worked with me while she got her master's degree. Wow. Um, and now she started a PhD program and is right. still working with me. <laughs> wow. Um, That's great. So, it is, it is great yeah. because that kind of teaching is, I found that I didn't love being a classroom teacher and that was, it was a lot harder than I thought that it would be, you know, oh, yeah. and, <laughs> and especially I thought, sure. oh, college students are going to be so excited to <laughs> come to class. And yeah. I, I was so surprised at yeah. how there was a lot of like behavior management issues I didn't expect Isn't to have. It? College, yeah, that's college interesting. Students. Yeah. But, um, but when you're mentoring them, you're organically teaching them as Mm -hmm. situations arise, but it's also that real world experience. So lecturing about it in the classroom is really very different than having them actually work through research with you and learn every Mm -hmm. step as it happens and unfolds. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you still, I still very much feel like a teacher. I just yeah. get to teach them one-on-one or, right, right. you know, we have our, you know, we have a weekly lab meeting and there's, you know, currently there's about nine of us and, uh-huh. and we're, you know, we're, we're zoom, of course, you know, uh-huh. like everybody these days, but there's a lot to learn, you mm-hmm. know, and they're, and they're excited and eager mm-hmm. and they, you know, they remind you about why you were interested in the field and, mm-hmm. you know, they're not, mm-hmm. they're, they're really often open and really engaged in the process. And that's really fun. Yeah. So if if you could put your finger on one thing that's your favorite part 
of doing this research, what do you think it would be? <laughs> Just <laughs> one thing. <laughs> what do you That's love? It. What do you love the most about doing research? This and what kind keeps of you in it right now? What yeah. keeps you going and, and excited? Right, right. Can I say two things? All right. Yeah, you can <laughs> okay. say two things. <laughs> okay, I would say one thing is, and these are very different things, but one thing are one thing is the relationship that that you develop. So it's mm -hmm. even though it's this sort of feels like this kind of nerdy, I have my pointy like scientist hat on, and <laughs> you know, I often feel very, um, very much like a dork, you know, <laughs> but. But yet you, you are, you know, you develop these relationships, you know, so like I've, I've now known Lori and, and, and Tim, another, another person at BrainSpring that, you know, we worked really closely together and, uh -huh. you know, and, and those are relationships. I, I value the relational aspect of that, mm -hmm. helping folks figure out what is important to them about the work they do and then helping them define it and then evaluate what they're doing and, mm -hmm. and see see where it's working, see where, where maybe they want to circle back and, mm -hmm. and change things or tighten things up or do things a little bit differently. I, I love that aspect of research informing the process of whether it's teaching or, or intervention or um, marketing, yeah. you know, um, I, I think that's really fun. So the real, so, hum, the human part of it, the human mm -hmm. part of it, because I really Absolutely. saw that when you started talking yeah. about it, you really, your face, we can see Sally, but I know you listeners can't <laughs> see her, but we can see her. And you actually, your yeah. face really did light up when you started talking <laughs> about, about that human contact and that human piece of it. So that's great. It's interesting. Yeah, I think I'm, we tend to think of research and clinical and very sterile and, and very objective, but there has to be that relationship that yes. propels you forward yes. to even want to do research. Yes, exactly. Great, great. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, sort of circling back to what I said earlier, I think I became a psychologist because of my interest in other people and, and the human experience. And so, um, you know, working with a team of people allows you to, to still do that and to still mm -hmm. sort of be involved with your colleagues. And, mm -hmm. and so I'd say the second thing, which actually is not that different as I think about it, it's sort of complimentary, is the, it's always fun to, when you get to the point where you get to really look at the data, right? Mm -hmm. So you've collected all this data for maybe a year, two years, mm -hmm. you've checked it all and cleaned it all and you run all these checks and then, and then you've analyzed it and you get to really say, okay, what have we learned about yeah. um, this population of people, about this program, about this intervention? What, mm -hmm. you know, where do we see things um, really, where, where does the data support our hypotheses or our, mm -hmm. our sort of, you know, our objectives and where, where does it, stray from that and, mm -hmm. and um, how does the data cooperate and in what day in what ways does it not and that's always fun and you mm -hmm. get to make a lot of fun graphs and you know sort yeah. of infographics exactly. for, uh -huh, for other people uh, to look at so um, that kind of that sort of feeds my pointy hatted scientist <laughs> yeah kind of related to that I was just always curious is research is, is the goal to show that something is better than something else? Or can it be to show something is effective in achieving a specific outcome separate from comparing it to other similar processes or programs? Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, the objective of research is to, you know, to, to ask a question and to make 
uh, predictions about what you think is going to happen. So, you know, make hypotheses about what you anticipate finding, and then, you know, dig in there and see what you find. And so often research is to evaluate uh, the effectiveness of something, the safety of something. I mean, I think sort of as we've all watched and, and kind of lived through, probably many of us paid more attention to the clinical trials around the development of vaccinations over the mm. last year, oh, yeah. for example, right? So I think a yeah. lot of us <laughs> have learned sort of the language around clinical trials and, mm-hmm. and what does it mean that we're, you know, we're in stage three. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so you can sort of see in that sense, and, and that's not that different from um, evaluating, you know, a psychosocial intervention or mm. a type of a type of treatment, a type mm-hmm. of, of not medical treatment, a type of a type of psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. Let's say. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it's different in the sense that clinical trials, say for the vaccination, have to first um, demonstrate safety, right? Mm-hmm. That they are safe for people to take. And, mm-hmm. and then we have to evaluate, do they work? Um, and then we look and see, do they work better than nothing? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's right, sort of right. that, the piece about that last piece is, you know, if I give someone, you know, over and above the placebo effect, we call it, right. So <laughs> just our anticipation that this medicine or this intervention is going to make us feel better um, over and above that, does it actually help? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So, you know, in that sense, we're looking at what we're kind of comparing um, an intervention um, to nothing. Mm-hmm. Then we also will sometimes compare um, interventions to each other. Right. Mm-hmm. So you have, you know, a novel intervention that that comes out some a new kind of a new kind of medicine, a new mm-hmm. kind of um you know, psychosocial intervention. And we will sometimes evaluate, particularly if there are sort of cost benefit analyses that need to be done about, you know, we've got this, this medicine that is, you know, considerably less expensive, and, and it's going to have, um, you know, the population will have much easier and greater access to this medicine. But we want to see first, is it safe? Is it effective? But then how does it compare to this you know, much more expensive, much more, um, you know, difficult to access kind mm-hmm. of medication. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think in your first comparison, especially is that um, we weren't looking for just one vaccination, because that's timely for us to talk about, but we were looking for all that could safely and effectively achieve an outcome. So you weren't, we weren't just looking for the best one. Mm-hmm. but rather any that could fit that criteria mm-hmm. and get us to our goal. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, that's correct. And you saw that as you had, you know, as you have different types of vaccinations being, mm-hmm. um, you know, being evaluated, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the mRNA vaccinations are the ones that I think people um, that, you know, made it to market first. And I mm-hmm. think the, the majority of people received, but um, but there were other other vaccinations that had different mechanisms of action mm-hmm. in terms of producing immunity a, mm-hmm. against COVID. So mm-hmm. um, that's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And I imagine down the line we w- we may see some head-to-head comparisons, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Once once mm-hmm. we are out years beyond the um, you know beyond the global pandemic, we may see. Although that kind you know clinical research like that particularly is really expensive. And so Mm. once a company has the, has the drug in hand, um, you know, they're often less excited about spending a lot of money uh, because it's already on the shelf and it's already Mm. making money, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Go ahead, Esther. I was just going to say, uh, just kind of switching gears a little bit, unless, Lori, you wanted to say something else about kind no, of go ahead. No, no, I was going to kind of circle back to education re- and research. Yeah. There you go. Well, um, uh, go ahead. So, <laughs> so I'm just wondering if, Sally, if you could um, talk about ways that you've seen your research impact the classroom or neurodivergent kids. Um, have you seen specific impact that your research has had on that? Yes, that's a good question. Certainly the classroom question is, I'm finding it uh, harder to sort of come up with an example about Mm -hmm. implications in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of neurodiverse children, Mm -hmm. um, we have done um, some research with programs, with, with two separate programs that provide interventions that sort of differentiated social structure, social skills, um, training kinds of interventions, um, which is really sort of the, the growing evidence base for um, at least for children on the autism spectrum mm-hmm. and did some really interesting research where we did behavioral observations and um, actually had trained research assistants Mm-hmm. Um, you know, observing and documenting the presence of certain behaviors and the absence of certain behaviors sure. um, in children on the spectrum so that we could see as they participated in this particular intervention, were, were they, you know, did we see improvements in social pragmatics as mm-hmm. defined in this particular way for the study? And, mm-hmm. you know, did we see less avoidance of social interaction? Did we see mm-hmm. less routinized behaviors? And, mm-hmm. and one particular program findings were, were very robust in that, you know, we saw big, big uh, changes mm-hmm. um, in the kiddos in terms of improvements. Um, wow. But there was one, there was sort of a, a sub sample of children who initially had very, very elevated levels of anxiety. So they were, you know, they, they had been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, but they also were diagnosed with um, comorbid anxiety disorders, which is not that uncommon, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of Mm -hmm. kids on the spectrum will have anxiety, particularly social anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we saw that those children did not benefit as, as much from mm. as the children who didn't have that, that heightened level of anxiety. And by working with the program and, you know, circling, letting, letting outcomes inform um, the delivery of services, which is the ideal, mm-hmm. they were able to um, sort of bolster their early assessment of children as they presented mm-hmm. for treatment and, uh, and better identify those anxious children on the spectrum and right. focus on simultaneously targeting anxiety reduction. Mm. Um, Fascinating, yeah. So Very that they could then also um, benefit as much as um, the less anxious children mm. with, um, right. you know, with the social skill instruction. Does that answer your question? Yeah, for sure. That's <laughs> yeah. that's great. That's so rewarding. It sounds so Absolutely. rewarding. Yeah, kind it is of, rewarding. It yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Kind of circling back to what we mentioned early on is um, that our research was certainly cut short by COVID-19 pandemic. But I was wondering if you could share anything about what you may have learned about educational research during that process. Was there anything unexpected or new to you or anything that uh, that process shed light on? Yes, yes, that's a good question too. I think what I would say in terms of sort of a big a big picture issue was the importance of the, the vital importance of collaboration across 
and communication across these different oh, yeah. departments that were involved in the process. And, and when you do applied research, again, you're working in the field in, in some capacity as opposed to being um, in an experimental lab, right? Where mm -hmm. subjects come in and you can control every aspect of what happens, right? So one of the wonderful things about applied work is that it's, it's much more generalizable because these are sort of real life people going to school yeah. with, you know, and we're, you know, we're offering assessments in a Spanish version and an English version because we have parents and families that are primarily Spanish speaking. And so you're, you're much more in sort of the, the trenches with, you know, your, your, you know, fellow parents and, you know, and kids <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and that's really fun, but it's tricky because you have so much less control. And mm. so, you know, in the, in the brain spring study, it was, you know, we needed the cooperation of so many people, you know, mm -hmm. district heads to, you know, principals across these four different schools mm -hmm. to, you know, teachers across these 28 classrooms mm -hmm. um, to, you know, to trainers and mm -hmm. um, who were training the teachers to deliver mm -hmm. the phonics first programs. And, mm -hmm. and then we, we needed to check fidelity so that we knew that what was being delivered was actually the phonics first program. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the places where we stumbled and where um, I learned a lot and, you know, we'll, we'll be, be better prepared next time is to tighten communication across mm. those varied departments. Mm -hmm. And, and that really... was huge. Yeah. I think there were so many different people and they all had different roles and, and you coming in and trying to understand where everybody was and mm -hmm. what they needed to do. Yes. It was, yes, I mean, <laughs> yes, uh, Lori, poor Lori had to listen to my, my frustrated um, expressions at times over the last <laughs> few years. And you really have to, to spend the time to get the buy-in from folks too, sure, right? Because sure. again, we're asking teachers, come and learn this thing. Now, teachers all want to learn it because it, it has this amazing reputation I had, have since learned and, and, mm -hmm. and they're eager to learn this, but, but they're, we're asking them to give up some of their time in the summer to mm -hmm. to learn this program and then deliver it and be and be monitored while they mm -hmm. deliver it. They've got to mm -hmm. fill out fidelity data, you know, mm -hmm. on a weekly basis on these on the kiddos in their classroom. And mm -hmm. and so if you you know, in that sense, they're not they're not the stakeholders really. The school district, the principal, right. they're not. They don't really have skin in the game in that sense, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. so you really got to to develop relationships at these different yeah. levels sure. um, to be able to have folks willing to work with you and mm -hmm. to collect these data and to pay attention and mm -hmm. to have a rapport with you to try mm -hmm. to get this done. So mm -hmm. I would say so that's much to one learn. of the, <laughs> yes, that's one of the, I would say the biggest benchmarks in terms of my learning. And, and um, I will know uh, for next time about uh -huh. the importance of the relational aspect of, sure. of working with those folks. Mm hmm. Well, was, we're so glad. Fascinating. That, yeah. <laughs> and, and so glad that you were, we were able to work with you as well on this. And, uh, and it's been Thank really, you. really interesting, uh, talking to you about your field of, of work, because I, I honestly don't usually have ever really thought about it, <laughs> about yeah. you hear about research studies and you hear about, you know, all these, these clinical trials and all this stuff. And, you really, you really don't really think about it unless you're 
unless you're mm-hmm. in the in the trenches there. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's really so interesting much. to hear all that big yeah. picture down to all the little nitty gritty details that you shared yeah. with us. So we really yes. appreciate having you here. Yes, thank Absolutely. you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. It's been fun. All right, Sally, thank you. All right, y'all take care. Okay, you, you too. too. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.